0: Cool, real quick. Um, I know some of you guys, but I don't know many of you, and maybe you don't know many of you, so maybe names, real quick. Shoot that girl. Um, I'm on IE's, Everybody calls me Ana. Very
1: nice. I'm Emily Clingensmith. Clingensmith? Clingensmith. Clingensmith.
0: Clingensmith.
2: I'm
3: David. The uh, White Davis running confusion. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it is, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, his nickname is Taco, so now his nick- nickname is Beef Talking on Chicken Taco. So, that's how it's was- that going. I don't know how to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Austin. Sharma.
4: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Maurice. Nick. Nick. Austin, and I'm Jonathan. So, glad you guys are here. <laughs> Hanging out with for a little bit this morning. Um, when we do Kai Alpha at Austin P, I'm not a smart guy. Um, I really work hard to keep it simple. Um, so everything that we do centers around the idea that we want to lead people to authentic relationship with Jesus and each other. So if it doesn't support that idea, odds are we're not going to be investing much, if any, effort into it. So. Really, when we're doing different things, we always want to make sure that it's pointing back towards that. And I don't know about you, but that idea is that, uh, Hi, how are you? Where are you from? What's your major? Hi, how are you? What's your name? Where are you from? What's your major? And we just ask those same dumb, surface-level questions, and we miss out on developing more meaningful relationship. How many times have you had that conversation with people? Like nine million, right? Hi, how are you? Where are you from? What's your major? And then that's it. We like the idea of pretending to enter into a relationship without actually building authentic relationship. And I think we kind of like shortchange the whole relationship process so um, you'll see on the top of your notes uh, that we'll talk through um, some components that can be integrated into your small group experience um, that will hopefully be meaningful to you and uh, then we'll kind of transition. So the first half of the time we'll be talking about that and the second half of the time we'll be discussing something a little bit different. Cool? Uh, So relationship is a big deal to us at Austin Peak. And developing meaningful um, intentional authentic relationship is a big deal. But I don't think it just stops with us. I feel like that's something that's meaningful to God as well. What I'd like to do to start, is to kind of build a little bit of a premise for you on where some of these ideas are coming from. Cool. So, if you've got Bibles, hopefully you do. Um, I'd like you to grab some scriptures. So, um, I see White David has one. So Genesis one ten. Austin Genesis one twelve. Uh, Sean, will you do one eighteen? Maurice, will you do one twenty one? No Bible. Other Bibles? Uh, another one it's out there. Chuck, we do Genesis 1.25, and it's okay, we'll let him do another one, and you'll do 1.31, so you're doing 1.10 and 1.31. Cool, so really quick, I need to give you a disclaimer. So I know that you guys are all really solid students of the Bible. If anyone ever gives you a list of scriptures like that, you need to be raising a red flag in your very smart brain. So what we're about to do is we're about to look at a bunch of scriptures outside of context. Because they're isolated and separated like that. You can make the Bible say whatever the heck you want it to say. So when people give you weird scriptures like this outside of context, you need to immediately be raising a red flag. Because scripture promises us that there's going to be people in settings like this, that their sole purpose is to deceive you. That's their job. And they're going to be doing really neat things, and they're going to sound really nice, and they're going to look like Chuck, they're going to look like Jackie, and they're going to look like me. So if you guys are lazy students of the Bible, you're just going to believe the bull crap that they tell you because of who they are. So if you're not engaging Scripture honestly for yourself, you're setting yourself up for tremendous disappointment. So that's not what we're talking about today, but you just need to understand that that is a reality that you need to be aware of. We're not here to spoon-feed you, you guys are leaders So it's time to make sure that you are engaging Scripture honestly for yourself. So anytime someone's teaching you something, don't just believe those suckers. You need to have your word out. You need to be engaging Scripture. Not just when the pastor says, all right, everyone open your Bible. If he's quoting Scripture, you should be looking for it. Otherwise, how the heck do you know what they're saying is true? You don't. But like lemmings, we just believe all kinds of crap. And I'm just encouraging you, be smarter than that. So the reason that I've broken the Scripture up like this is we just don't have time to read the whole first chapter of Genesis. So I'm doing a bit of a preview for you of a point that I'd like to make. So by summarizing these points, we'll get to So every time somebody does this, it's not always bad, but I'm just cautioning cautioning you that it should raise a red flag in your mind. All right. Why aren't we reading the whole thing? Okay? So that's a freebie, and that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but I just need you to understand that because that's valuable. All right? Cool. Hit us with the first one. So each person is going to read their one verse, and then I'm going to ask a question. And I think you guys are going to pick up on a theme really quick, so go for it. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So, what's the pronouncement God makes over the stuff that was created? Good. Good. Go. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding according to their
4: own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according it to its calling, and God saw, saw that it was good. What was the pronouncement? Good. 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 good.
0: good. Got it. Perfect.
5: To roll over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good.
0: Pronouncement. Okay. Okay, you're going to see the trend.
6: Here it is. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every wind fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Okay. Good. good.
0: Fantastic. Chuck's got one. 31. Yes, sir. 20, 25 or 31? 25. 25. You just read 18, pardon? 21. I, I read 21. 21, yes, sir. 25. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Cool. you catching it? The pronouncement was. It's good. Yeah. Good. Hit the last one first, Dave. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning with the sixth day. Fantastic. All right, so after each one of these things, we hear the central pronouncement, right? And if me, as your campus pastor, I'm asking you a question and you answer it with, good, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be like, that doesn't tell me anything. Basically, you've just completely dodged my question. There is no descriptive information in there. So when I'm asking, hey, how did things go today? Good. No, it doesn't tell us anything, right? And we use that word super commonly in our language. Good this, good that, doesn't really tell us a darn thing about anything. But we need to understand that the context in which this is written is different than our casual context now. So when God, in Hebrew, made a pronouncement that something was good, it was a totally different story. When God pronounced each one of these however many verses was good, what he was actually saying in Hebrew is this is complete This is perfect. This could not be any better. A little bit different than our pronouncement of good, right? So over each one of these things, God might as well have been been saying, It's perfect. There's no way this can be improved upon. So what I'm doing is I'm setting a premise for where we're about to go, right? So you need to understand this new definition for the word good before we can move forward with what we're talking about. So God sets a precedent, pronouncement, good, perfection, over each one of His creations. We're going to get a little iffy now. Have you guys ever heard of the mistake that God made? So God made a mistake. God did something, and it was a mistake. You don't believe me? Cool. Check out Genesis chapter 2, somebody do 18. You only need to read the first part of it. Genesis chapter 2? Yes, sir. Verse 18. You can stop after alone. The
5: Lord said, it is
0: not good that man should be alone. Uh Uh-oh. God created man, and then what's the pronouncement? Not good. Not good. good. Not complete. Not perfect. Not lacking. Or it was lacking. So basically what we do in the Genesis 1 account is we get a presentation of what's going to happen, and then when we read Genesis 2, we get an explosion of something that already has happened. So Genesis chapter 2 is giving us a little more information about this overarching sort of creation process, and when it gets to man, he's like, this is not good. Why? Adam was incomplete, okay. alone. Yeah. So at this point, God had made all kinds of animals, and they're just like, and they're doing their thing. But it says that there wasn't someone like Adam with whom he could connect, someone that he could be together with. There was a lack there, and God saw that it wasn't perfect, it wasn't complete, it was lacking. Adam's relationship was lacking. So what does he do? We know that he puts sucker to sleep, rips some of his guts out, poof, there's woman, right? And then, what's his pronouncement? It was good. It was good. And I think a lot of times in our silly, limited, carnal minds, we're like, oh, God just wanted to make babies. Go make babies. What? If God just needed folks to make babies, he could snot boogers in the (laughs) mouth and have all kinds of little kids. His purpose for making Eve was not to make babies. His purpose for making Eve is that she, he saw that Adam was alone and that there was a need for what? For meaningful, connected relationship. Part of God's design for us as people is to be in meaningful, authentic, connected relationship. So even in the beginning when he made Adam in a place that he could not have that with another person like himself, he pronounced it as wrong This is outside of my purposes. So he stops time and he makes another individual so that he can have that type of relationship. And then pronounces it, good. Complete, perfect, lacking nothing. So you need to identify that in the beginning of time, God wove into our purpose for being meaningful, connected relationships. So I challenge you to reconsider, Hi, what's your name? What's your major? Where are you from? If that's even worth the time. So what I'd like to do is spend the next couple moments talking through some components that are more than that. That invite people to more than that. Okay? Because God prioritizes meaningful, connected relationship, and we should too. It's part of the way that we're designed. One of the ways that we're able to do that is to begin to practice just openness. And I'm not sure how your campus pastors define it, but I would define it as... Trusting God enough to expose the pretty, the ugly, and the messy of our lives to others in order to grow meaningful relationship. I define it as trusting God enough with the details of our lives to expose the pretty, the ugly, the messy to others, in order to grow in meaningful relationship. I can email you my notes after we're done if you're missing stuff. So basically we've got to trust Jesus enough that we can expose in parts of our heart to other people. I'm not saying get on a megaphone, stand on a street corner and blab your crap to every stranger, but when you're making investment in developing meaningful relationship in somebody's life, that should be happening. Can I challenge you guys to practice that now? I'll go first. So, um, 60 seconds or less, what I'd like you to do is to share something meaningful from your life that's impacted who you are today. Okay? So, um, I was in fourth grade, and I lived in Florida, and we lived on a block. So, house, 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 lots of houses. And my best friend's name was Zach. I lived here, Zach lived here, and um, I hadn't really thought about this at all until like just the other day, like Monday, I think. So um, every day after school, I'd get home and I'd rush down to Zach's house, and we would play, we'd have a good time. I'm a fourth grader, like that's all that I know was I, I just play with my friends. Um, until one day, i get home and i rush to Zach's house, and Zach's like, I don't want to play with you. I'd much rather play with Johnny instead. So, Johnny lived right across the street from Zach. So, Zach and I had, like, a plan. Like, we were going to meet at this time, and we were going to hang out, and we were going to play. And as a little fourth grader, like, my brain and my heart didn't really know how to process that. And I know this sounds stupid, but I guess it was meaningful to me then because it kind of comes back up again. So, I would do it the next day, and it just seemed like for several days in a row, Zach would wait till I get the door. He'd be like, I don't want to play with you. I want to play with Johnny instead. I know that we're supposed to, but I don't really want to play with you anymore. And like something inside my little fourth grade heart just began to break. And I'd walk home crying for a little bit and then forget about it and figure out something else to do. But there was just a sense of rejection that was developing in my heart that um, man, just really, really wasn't good. Um, and I didn't know that it was a big deal until um, earlier this week uh, I was supposed to work out with a guy. And, uh, we set a time that we were going to work out and then he messaged me and he's like, Hey, I need to work out with somebody else. And all of a sudden I was just like a fourth grader again. And I felt crazy rejected and crazy stupid. And then I was like, I went into dumb mode and I was like, but, 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 uh, Huh? And I realized that there was some hurt in my heart that had very little to do with what was happening on Monday, but had a lot to do with something that had happened then that like, I just hadn't processed, I hadn't dealt with. And it really challenged me to bring my heart to my father and just say, Dad, are there other areas of hurt in me? Are there other areas of the things in me that have not healed all the way that you don't want me to carry around? And then it just made me so happy that I could take my heart to my dad like that. And it was a silly little fourth grader, who cares, but something happened there. And it was just so reassuring that I could like bring that frustrated, confused heart to the Lord now, and then have him just begin to speak to that kind of stuff, and to bring healing, and to do really cool stuff there. Um, so yeah, I didn't realize that that was a meaningful situation, but it turns out that it really was. So somebody jump in. You're not know, allowed take as long as I did.
7: So going back through my childhood, I remember there was one day that I don't remember if I was invited over or if I invited myself over. I used to have a whole bunch of friends hang out in the neighborhood and they all moved away one at a time. Um, one of them was this kid named Alan who lived about two blocks up from us, really close to elementary school. We walked to school every day. And my brother and I were over there, and I thought we were going to play video games together or play a board game or something. And for a while, I think I went to the bathroom, I came back and, you know, sat there while my buddy just played on his Game Boy at one point in time. And, you know, we just kept growing. I thought it was going to be just, you know, just a couple of minutes or whatnot, and five, turning five minutes or ten minutes. Finally, I took it away from him it. was like, hey, dude, you know, I thought we were hanging out. I thought we were playing together. And he then, like, proceeded to beat me, and it's probably the closest I've ever come today to being in a legit fight. But I'll look at that, and eventually, I think we just kind of went home, didn't tell his mom or anything, just like, shoot, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And um, so, but that, but looking back at that, I feel like that's now a hard check for me about not being on my phone or, you know, trying to talk to anybody else on their phone. No, this was 20 years before cell phones came out. So to so be
0: present with people... Wow,
8: June. I guess something recent. Um last semester, well, started the semester before, but I got this really cool opportunity to minister to a student from Arkansas named Vanessa that was in Saint Jude. Um and so I would go visit her. So I to a visitor because she's awesome. Um Jerry. Like we go visit her and, and I Built this relationship with her, go there every week, you know, talk with her. She was a new believer, like so on fire, super cool, love to worship. So we'd like sing with her, remember there <laughs> and stuff. And um, then, like at the beginning of fall semester this year, um, like nobody even called us on Facebook, like that she passed away. And I think for me, like I had never ever considered that God wouldn't heal her. Like she was strong, she was healthy. And um, the crazy thing is, like she was all cured of cancer and it was like a secondary infection that came in just like that um but I think it was like incredibly testing on my faith because um, I try to just keep going it the beginning of the semester so I'm like gotta like deal with our outreaches and start pioppa. and um, finally I just hit a place that the Lord was like you've got to stop like I just like I stopped everything he was like you gotta deal with this you gotta talk to me because I was just kind of like mad at him because um, I didn't want that to happen, obviously. Um, but then, like, she's in a better place and cancer free. Um, so, I'm like, why do I get to be mad? Um, but I did, like, I did, and I think it was incredible because it really ended up strengthening my faith, and it really ended up deepening, some, deepening some relationships. Like, I have a really good friend I run with. Her husband's a doctor at St. Jude in end of care. Or end of life care, and so like I went to their house and like hang out with him, and I don't know what I expected, but I walked away from that being like I want to have faith like in that dude, because he sees children die like multiple times a day, every day, often, and he's like it's always sad. I always pray for God to heal him, but there's something so strong about his faith, um, just that he's like and God will, and sometimes he does. Um, his particular field, like there's a a zero. Um, like recovery so, like, so that's how he ended up in end of life care but he's like so he's never seen God heal one of his particular reasons yet he still prays for every single one of them and he's like I believe we will you know and I just think that it was like hard but incredibly um, cool to like finally take that process to the Lord and walk through it with him and I think he's like helping me become a stronger more real person through it
0: that's good
4: Thanks for sharing that. When I was younger, uh, we moved around a lot, pretty much every two years, um, sometimes less. We moved <coughs> to a different location. And um, I think through that, uh, it kind of made me um, depend on like like video game, like a community inside like a video game, that uh, sounds kind of weird. But, That's basically what I relied on, um, to get my relationships and to get, like, just like, that community sense was through a a virtual game with people I didn't even know, um, so basically my high school years were plagued with video games, like, I would go home from school and I would do nothing but play video games until it was time to go to bed and do it over, right, every day, um, and the same thing for the weekends, and, um, when I met Jesus, um, I don't know, something... Just switch, and like I I can't even pick up the video and be like satisfied with it anymore. I can't, like, it can just, I can't do it, I can't be on for like more than five minutes, it just kills me. Um, so, I'm learning that uh, I have to deal with that the process of of, of being open and, and uh, going out and finding those relationships in real life and not in virtual life. It's challenging.
1: It is. It's good.
2: <clears throat> My brother is um, five years younger than me, and he is autistic, but he's on the lower end of the spectrum, so you can't tell by looking at him, but when when we were little, I never really understood. He just kind of sat and played with his trucks, but he did this weird thing where he had his book open, He would put the truck over the book and back over, and he would turn the page, and he would do that for hours and hours, and he would always have everything straight and picky. And then um, my parents had tests on, and they figured it out. And so he started school, and I started getting a little bit annoyed because my parents would always, like, pay more attention to him, but I didn't understand it back then. And then I realized that I started... Actually, hanging out with him more than I realized he needs people because he doesn't talk to anybody at school, and that's just how he is. He doesn't know how to socially talk to people. And now, um, he's in eighth grade and he did the talent show and he sang, and he can't sing, like tone deaf, all that stuff, but he got a standing ovation and was the only person to get a standing ovation, and it was the best feeling ever. And it's just taught me a lot of patience and like how to to understand to be open to everybody no matter what they're like and um, I just wish that people wouldn't look at him different. It's it's hard for me to think of that, especially with school when he's supposed to have special like curriculums because he can't focus every like everybody can so and some teachers don't help him and. Some kids make fun of them, especially middle school. It's tough. And I worry about them a lot. That's
3: really raw. Well. I appreciate you sharing that.
5: When I was in high school, um, we had a basketball program at our church. Um, and it was like a bunch of like inner city guys, all guys. Um, and I was, like, the only person in our entire youth group that would go up there and, like, talk to them. And at the beginning, it was, like, they didn't want to talk to me. They wanted nothing to do with me. They don't know why this white girl wanted to talk to them. Um, and, like, I was really shy as a kid. I was really shy until I was about 14 years old. Um, so, like, that was kind of, like, really stepping outside I my comfort zone. And our youth minister was just, like, well, you know, these people need Jesus. Like, they, they need someone to be their friend. Um, so, like, over, like, the two years that we had the program go on, Like, they became, like, it was my mission in my mind to, like, reach them. Um, And we were able to see, like, several of them, like, come to Christ and, um, like, actually come to church more than just to play basketball. And that kind of, like, really shit me into being, like, bold because I wasn't when I was younger. Like, I was, like, I'm just going to stay over here and hide and not talk to anyone. And, like, nobody believes me when I tell them that I was shy. Because I'm not anymore, like, at all. Um, but, like, that really kind of impacted me into being, like, who I
0: am. That's cool. It's really cool. All yeah, right, let's go fast. We've got one, two, three left.
1: So my mom is a single mom. And uh, there's seven of us. Five at home, technically. My um, nearest sister in age is at WKU. And then there's me in college. I have a 25-year-old sister at home who just had a baby. And um, when I was in high school, which was a year ago, I um, helped her a lot. I did a lot of the um, driving, the cooking, the cleaning, just to make sure that um, she wasn't stressing out too much. And I have a little brother who's 16, and I have a little sister who's 10. And my 10-year-old little sister travels a lot because she's a theater kid, and um, they just went to Atlanta, and she got a scholarship to go to someplace in New York, so she's going to New York this summer, and then they went to St. Louis right after Atlanta, so it's a very busy lifestyle, and I got to college, and I just started worrying, like, seven days a week, I would call her, and <coughs> try to see what was going on. If anything was wrong, then it would just take over my entire day. Like, just worrying about her and what she was doing. Because my um, 25-year-old sister doesn't help. And uh, my mom is raising her baby. So, um, I was watching this play. It was actually a Medea play. And um, I was watching it yesterday before we came here. And Medea was like, um, she's in a retirement home. And there was this woman there who didn't talk. She was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And her daughter came in every day and sat with her for 8, nine, ten hours a day. And so Medea was like, why are you sitting with this selfish woman? And the daughter's like, no, she's not selfish. She gave of herself to everybody. And it just reminded me of my mom. I was like, that's my mom. And then Medea was like, well, if she's not selfish, why are you sitting here? Because she would never want you to spend the bulk of your days in here worried about her. You know, you have a husband, you have kids that you have to worry about. You have things to do that she would want you to do, and she wouldn't want you to neglect them being in here with you. And that just hit me hard because I was like, I mean, I have things. I have friends up here. Um, I have schoolwork and stuff. I'm trying to get a job, trying to buy a car, or trying to fix my car. So it's just, you know, a lot of stuff that I should be worrying about. And so just, you know... I feel like that was God speaking through a media play of all yeah, things, and just telling me, you know, be still, understand that I got this.
0: Yeah, we love our families, but yeah, Lou doesn't want us to be anxious about it. Yeah,
1: that's good.
3: Um, first end of the first semester of senior year of high school, um, my best friend and I were uh, and some other people shit down at Starbucks. Um, studying for a final the, the next day, and, um, I forgot, well, I, mean, I didn't forget, but, like, I don't have time to explain everything, but he, he told me he was gay, and that was just, like, the craziest thing, because we were, we were best friends at the time, and it was, it really just shook my world, like, like, has, like, everything in my life been a lie? Have I been, like, deceived? like, this often, and, like, I, I didn't forgive him for a couple of days, and, like, I was, I was not who I should have been. I was, I was so out of my, my normal personality, and I was, I was just so depressed, and I had so much anxiety, but, like, I, I mean, it was really, like, my crucible, I guess, because, um, you know, I I started to think, like, was he trying to use me? Was he, you know, trying to do something? But, but like, I don't know, I just, I guess, I was just so out of my personality for the few weeks, and then God told me, like, hey, you know what you have to do. You know, it's, it's not that bad. You know, so, so I just really went through a hard time then, but God pulled me out of it all for the better.
0: It's cool, man. It's good stretching. For sure. What
6: you got, yeah. Well, last semester, like, beginning of last semester, I was just, I wasn't who I usually was, and that's just because some stuff that went, that happened over the summer. Basically, I just, I was alone, and I didn't trust anybody, and I was just angry all the time. So, like, when I came to UT, like, I didn't, like, I would talk to people and everything. I would try to talk to people, but I wouldn't let them see, like, who I really was at first. Just because I was afraid of getting hurt again. And then went to Chi Alpha, and then that's taught me to be, like, more open, to be more transparent with people. Even if it means running the risk of getting hurt again again, at least I know... Please I know it wasn't my fault, it wasn't my doing because I was transparent.
0: That's good, dude. Uh, can you tell how this group feels different now than it did ten minutes ago? Ten minutes of sharing your life. And suddenly the whole atmosphere, the whole foundation for the relationships are different. And it's not because we just had like a Jerry Springer moment when you kind of cried about stuff, but because we are designed in our purpose to have meaningful life connection with each other. And you guys just took a step of vulnerability and you did that. You shared some stuff about you and you can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in a different way now. And I'm a big believer that when we step in line with God's purposes, like we don't have to ask Him to be there because He lives in the midst of His purposes. And we said that part of his purpose is that we have authentic, meaningful, connected relationships. So if openness is something that you'll practice in your small groups, then you are instantaneously transporting them from just a social group, where you're trying to beg people to participate, to a place where life is being given, where people are connecting. And it's another way that you can make life investment in somebody, and I love it. Um, have, you ever guys, have you ever heard the word affirmation before? I know some key folks and some Memphis folks. What's a good definition for affirmation? I've got a really specific one, so yours might be a little different than mine, but you got one? Go. Um, telling people
2: what God sees in you, what God sees in
0: them. Awesome. That's really, really good. Really good. That's, that's probably the better one. Mine's a little more complicated than that. But it's allowing allowing Jesus to show you how he sees somebody... Both as they are now, and they're going to be. And then speaking it to them. So, uh, I, I, I like your sneakers, David. Is that an affirmation? No. Nothing was happening there. But when you allow Jesus to whisper into your heart, or to kind of like take over your eyeballs for a second, to see something in somebody, both as they are now, and as they could be, and then you speak that to them, that's an affirmation. Um, I don't know what was just happening. I know that we've, we've talked a little bit kind of just in passing, but just in the last like two minutes, as you were sharing part of your story, I felt so welcomed into your life. Um, I felt like a sense of just strength in your vulnerability. Um, you're sharing really meaningful heart stuff. And like I just started feeling emotional inside, I didn't even know why. But something about your transparency just then was causing something to move inside of my heart. And I would just affirm that that may feel like a moment where you're you're very weak and you're very vulnerable, but I just, I see Jesus using that as a crazy strength in you, an opportunity to, to draw people to something more, to point to something bigger than you, um, and whether they get the substance of your story or not, I believe that there's something supernatural happening as you share in your life like that so i would just i'd encourage you to allow that to be a part of the way that you lead and the way that you disciple other people because uh, it may feel like brokenness to you but brokenness in the kingdom is turned on its head and it's crazy courageous strength so it's just exciting to see that in you so it's an affirmation so what i'd like to do for the next couple minutes is just play tag so i've just tagged you so then you affirm somebody else, and then they'll affirm somebody else. And what I'd like to do is, um, there, I've got a couple of Jonathan rules when it comes to affirmations. So the first one is, it's never appropriate while people are being affirmed to go,
1: Aww,
0: <laughs> what kind of crap is that? Like When you're speaking what God sees over somebody, it's not a puppy, okay? So um, the second rule is, the only response that you're allowed to have for affirmation is, Thank you. That's it. Cool. Um, So, you'll affirm someone that hasn't been affirmed until everyone's been affirmed. And I'd prefer, if possible, if you did not affirm someone from your campus. Go. (laughs) That would be a problem.
1: Um,
2: So, I've known you for, like, a year now, and I feel like I could literally talk to you about anything. Like, I've seen you three times in my entire life, and, like whenever I know we get to get, we're going to get together, like, you text me, and you're like,
1: oh, we're going to hang out, and I'm
2: so excited to see you, and I feel like, like, 50 years from now, if I ever need anything, I'll just be like, Nick, what's up, and you'll be like, hey, and so, like, you're just available to me, and that's super awesome of you, and I feel like we're really going to be friends forever, even if it is just, you know, three, four, six hours away from each other, like, we can still have, like, an authentic friendship. That's
7: true. So, David, I've known for two days now, and it's fun to uh, play mafia with you and whatnot, but I really just have this sense of godly humor about you. Um, you know you have a very specific way of navigating your humor that it might turn somewhat racial, that is appropriate but just as a role it's it's a way to know that these are all god's people red yellow black and white and all his children but just the way you played off the, the two davids thing and just incorporate everybody and it was completely weird but
8: in the good godly kind of, kind of weird when you just came up to me when i was talking to mom last time it's like hey i'm david i hope you
7: officially met i men not run, but it's never too late to make a friend and see these people out here and start a conversation. So,
3: thank you. Thanks. Uh, Austin, I've known since Insomnia, and I I always saw him as a more respectable, uh, kind of keep-to-himself kind of guy. And I guess, like, when, when you shared about, like, your like, you were addicted to video games, I realized, like, wow, like, he, uh, you know, he goes through what we all, all go through, and, like, he's, um, I guess, like, I mean, that's a really big turnaround from playing video games, like, all the time to not being, you know, not being able to, you know, stay on one for, like, five minutes, like, uh that's such a strong story of just, like, turning around something that you just used to, Swallow your time with, you know, now you have um, like all the more time to do different stuff. Because, like, um, with RK Alpha in Cookville, with the leadership thing, uh, a month from tomorrow ago, they told us, like, hey, everybody, starting right now, media fast. And it's just like been such a struggle. I mean, it was at the beginning, because it's like, okay, can't check Snapchat, can't check Instagram, no playing video games, you know? And it's like, like you don't even have to. I mean, it got better towards the end, you know, because you get used to it. Like you don't even have to worry about like just being uh being want, wanting to play video games or do something just to gobble up your time, you know. So that's a that's even more respectful.
4: That's good, uh, Maurice. Uh, so I met you last night, I think. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of cool, like what you shared earlier. Kind of goes with like, so we were walking over to the bathroom, and um, the whole entire time it just felt, just it was like comfortable, like it was just like easy, easy talking to you, like really just normal, really comfortable and very welcoming. And um, and I think it just makes sense to what you were sharing earlier with like your openness and stuff. Like it just felt right in line with what you were saying and what your character was like last night. Um, so I'm gonna encourage you, like, yeah keep up that openness
0: like and, and God's gonna use that and it's gonna grow it's gonna be awesome. Thanks. Um, in the interest of time let's skip Jackie and Chuck. So let's hit Shauna and tell them one more time.
1: Anna.
6: Shauna on, it. on it. him. So Shauna, I think it's actually awesome how you went from being this shy girl like you shared with us to being this outgoing awesome willing to talk to just about anybody if they talk to you kind of person, I think that's really cool, because I was similar before, like, I was, like, shy, I didn't, really talk to anyone, and, yeah, I think that's awesome, like, Um, uh, well, let's see,
5: I've been on for
1: 80 years, <laughs>
5: Yeah, like the last year Um. Anyway, but, like, there's just something about her personality that, like, you're, like, more of the, like, you're more outgoing to me. Like, in
1: between you and me.
5: <laughs> um, but, like, that's something that I definitely think God's going to continue to use on the campus. It's, like, because, like, our campus needs people that are willing to, like, go out and talk about Christ to, like, the people on campus. And, like, if you're, like, willing to just give that to him, like, he will use that. Because, like, that kind of boldness to just talk to anybody is not something you find all the time. Um, But, like, you can definitely see, like, Jesus in you. Like, when you worship, like, you can see Jesus just, like, right there, like, glowing around you. Um, like, it's awesome to see. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I was skip. It's not be I, Um Jackie, I just love when you worship. Like I know everybody thinks oh Jackie's a worship leader, so of course she's supposed to worship amazingly, but I came from a place where, you know, not every worship leader worshiped amazingly, or not every worship leader like with you you can tell it's anointed worship. With other people they were going through the motions and <laughs> I just love the fact that you're not afraid to not be in the spotlight. You're not afraid to shift that spotlight to, you know, me or Jane or Chris or anybody else who's singing. And I think that God will really use that and bring it out in our ministry. That's
0: good. Did you just feel the life kind of pumping in you? Did any of you guys receive an affirmation that was meaningful? Pretty cool, right? So, in 20 seconds, you just made meaningful investment in somebody's heart. They're really simple, approachable tools that you can make a part of any small group that you're leading ever. Find solid biblical teaching just to walk through with people. Practice like, foundational relationship openness. Take moments to affirm and to speak life to the people that you're discipling, because discipleship is relationship, right? It's inviting people to be a part of relationship, and obviously when you lead a small group, you won't be rushed like this. I just try to like hustle through 30 minutes. You'll have like 90 minutes or so. Um, this group is a pretty good size, but it's a little bit big. You usually shoot like 5 to 7, 7 max for your small group. And there's a million other things. Like sometimes for dudes especially, it's hard to have this kind of conversation for 90 minutes. So finding something kind of fun that you can kind of add into that in addition to whatever. But I, I, I'm just trying to help you see the value of leading a small group and discipling through small groups and that you can make um, crazy, intentional, authentic relationship-building investment in people if, if you're willing to kind of walk through that. So I need to pause that and just tell you that that last 30 minutes, or however long we have been here, that's not the actual purpose of the talk. What I've actually wanted to talk to you guys about this whole time is HCV. You may see it at the top of the thing. So basically what I've been doing with you this whole time is vision casting. Vision casting for the value of small groups. So for the remainder of the time, the most important part of what we're doing is I wanted to teach you guys how to vision cast. But before I did that, I wanted to take a couple minutes and show it to you. So over the last couple minutes, what have I been asking you to value? Relationship. Openness. Openness. Good, good, perfect. Those components of a small group. And I think one of the things that my small group leaders with at Austin Peace struggle with the most is how to effectively vision cast. And if I was to give you a definition for vision casting, really simply, it would be inviting someone to value something. There's not a spot. on the bottom of the page, you'll see three Bs. So what I'm going to do is talk really fast about an overview of vision casting, and then I'm going to come back and give you something to take home with you, those three Bs. But if you need to think about what is vision casting, you're inviting someone to value something. And oftentimes vision casting is something that you're doing for something that people don't know anything about. Often when you're vision casting, is you're, you're trying to lead people to a place that you know is desperately valuable, but they don't even know exists. That's kind of how discipleship works, Right? You have this connected, meaningful relationship with Jesus, and you're trying to move to that connected, meaningful relationship. Oftentimes, you have no freaking idea what that actually is or how that works, right? So vision casting is a critical tool that you can use as you are discipling other people, and basically, you are helping them to value something that they don't already value. And it's fantastic when you're considering, like, and I want to go, I want my people to be a part of my small group or I want people to go on a fall break trip or a spring break missions trip or whatever, why or how do we get them to do those things? Well, we get, to the, do the, we get them to do those things by effective vision casting. So basically what happens is vision casting starts months before you ever give anybody an invitation to participate in anything. The first step of vision <coughs> casting... It starts with you. You make a decision to value it. If you value it, then it's going to change the way that you walk, the way that you express all of it. If you don't value it, people will look at you and tell, I'm in love. I'm crazy in love with this smoking hot lady from Colombia." And people don't have to ask me about it. People have to ask me to stop talking about it. Pretty much. Like, I can't wait to be with her, and I hate that she's a million miles away. When you value something, when you care about something, no one has to force you to talk about that. So the first step of vision casting is that you will value it. that it It's meaningful. It's important to you. But then the natural result is the next step. You'll begin representing that value in the things that you say and the things that you do. People will see that coming out of your life. And somebody that's around you frequently was to say, what does Shauna talk about the most? What does Nick talk about the most? What does Maurice talk about the most? Would they say we talk about our deep, intimate, meaningful encounters with Jesus? Or would they say we talk about the game? Or we talk about lunch? Or we talk about some girl or some guy? Because the things that are flowing out of us are the things that we value. And if we want people to be a part of Spring Break Mission Strips, if we want them to be a part of our small group, then we need to value it ourselves. And if we're valuing it, we're talking to people long before we ever invite them to be a part of it. Oh my gosh. Small group was so good. Man, it was good. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, worship was fantastic. Like I just felt like Jesus was so close. I came and I was like a... I feel just funky that day, and I left so challenged, so encouraged. So the natural result of valuing something is that it comes out of you. And the last part is it's invitation time. But you know the reality of vision casting? People are making decisions how they're going to respond to your invitation months before you deliver it. You ever considered that? People are deciding by the context of your relationship with them if they're going to go or do or respond to the things that you ask them to. They decide that months before you ever actually invite them to do a darn thing. But oftentimes, we don't make that type of investment. We don't share the things that we value. And we just are like salesmen. Hey, why don't you buy my vacuum cleaner? Why don't you buy my vacuum cleaner? How dumb is that? But when we are constantly expressing and sharing and radiating the things that we value, when it comes time to invite somebody to value that also, like, they're already on board. They've already heard and seen it represented in your life. Let me condense all of those into three simple Bs. The first B is you believe it. The first step of vision casting is that you believe it deep down inside that this is life-changing. And until you do that, you don't have any right to be inviting anybody to do anything. Don't. Because it's just going to look fake, it's going to be a copycat, and it's not it's not real. First step of vision casting is you need to believe it. Alright? What is blood in your body? What's the purpose of blood? It's the same life, take oxygen. Good, good. What is blood actually? Oops. Cells. Cells running around inside of you, moving, all that stuff, right? Blood is like like the essence of who you are on a biological level. Like it's what's inside your bones, it's in your veins. The second step of vision casting is you need to believe it. It needs to ooze out of you. This thing that you value, it needs to be represented as the... Just something that's huge inside of you. That somebody cuts you, they're going to see that you cannot get enough of your small group. If somebody cuts you, everything that you're doing and everything that you're representing is, oh my gosh, spring break mission trip is incredible. Being a part of our worship night is incredible. You naturally will ooze those things. You need to bleed it. And the last one, it's really simple. You breathe it. That's invitation. So that you are intentional about inviting people to value something, that your words are direct and intentional. What's the difference between, hey, hey Nick, if you're not doing anything tomorrow night, would you, do, you, do you want to come to our worship night? Maybe. Yeah, so it's pretty lame. Versus, all right, Nick. So I've been telling you about this for months, and we finally we're about to have another worship night. Tomorrow, um, I went to the last one, and, like, I just felt like my face was melted off in the best way. Like, I left so pumped, so excited. Dude, you've got to be here. It will change your life. Is there any way that you can move stuff around to be there? I am it. Do you see the difference in those invitations? Oftentimes, we're asking people, do you want to? Instead of telling them, this is something you cannot miss out on. If you just had a oldest person walk up to you, would you... Would you like this? No one says that. But they're very direct and they're letting you know how important they've already been sharing. You've already seen the ads. You've already done all of that. So when you breathe it, the words that you use... Are I yell at my core leaders. I'm like, so have you been inviting people to come? And you go, well, I asked them if they wanted to come. I'm like, no! You don't ask them if they want to. You tell them this is something life-changing. You'll fight for this for them discipleship, the root word is discipline. So when you are doing discipleship, in fact, you are imposing order upon disorder in the mind, the body, and the spirit. That's what discipleship is. Have you ever heard parents be like, do you want a spanking? Have you ever once heard a little kid be like, yes, (laughs) never. No one ever says that. Jackie said that. But most people don't. (laughs) Um, So most people aren't like, yes, I want you to discipline me. Yes, I want you to disciple me. So your invitation, your breathing of vision is not a request. You are directing them to value something. I'm not saying, like, get a chainsaw out and start removing pieces of their body if they don't. I'm just saying, just so you're real a little bit. bit. (laughs) But you believe it. It's deep down inside (laughs) you. You bleed it. It naturally is coming out in the things that you say and then you do, and then you breathe it. You get a chainsaw, and you compel them to come. That's what she would do. Cool? I challenge you guys to not just casually go through life, but to live life with intentionality, making meaningful investment in people's lives through those small group components. But learn to vision cast, and if you'll do it well now, that'll be a skill, a tool that you will use effectively for the rest of your life. Helping people to value things that they don't even know exist is a huge kingdom principle. And it's one that people for the most part suck at. So I would challenge you guys to value things deeply, allow the things that you value to overflow out of your life,
1: and to not be afraid to compel people to be a part of them. Cool? Awesome.